Well, dear friends, I'll ask you to please have your Bibles open there in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We arrive this evening in the perhaps last section of this chapter. We've had a few sermons already going through this fairly lengthy chapter of 1 Corinthians, and we're considering the subject of marriage, whether to marry or not. Paul, as we understand it from Scripture, didn't marry. And uh, the first thing we need to say once again is that Paul is not teaching anything against marriage, but he is warning us of many things. He's also warning us too, as we will see about being single. There are dangers, as it were, in being single. There are dangers everywhere around the Christian. Now again, let's make this very clear. Paul is addressing Christians. This is why he says at the end, marry only in the Lord. But of course, if you are a saved person and you find yourself now being saved and you're in a marriage, Paul has said very clearly, you must never leave that spouse. You are bound to that person. God has saved you in that marriage. Marriage is a good thing. Now, as we arrive this evening, we are going to consider with the Lord's help verse 26 through to the end of the chapter, verse 40. Verse 26 to verse 40. And really, as we look at these verses, we can see that there is a natural, uh, there are naturally three sections that we find here, three small sections as Paul draws to a conclusion on this subject, whether to marry or not. Now remember in the previous chapter, the premise for all of our decisions should be that we must do everything for the glory of God. Look at what he says in chapter 6, verse 12. All things are lawful unto me. Of course, what he means there, all things that are truly lawful are lawful, It's not lawful to do something sinful as a Christian, is it? But here what he's saying is, everything that is good, it is lawful to do. But all things are not expedient. There's some things that you, it's not the will of God for you to do in your life. God has particularly gifted some people to not be married, and some people to be married. There, following verse 12, even when you get to verse 14 and 16, following from verse 14 to 16, he is giving an example of how all things are lawful. It's lawful to eat food, but it's, it's unlawful to be a glutton or to be a drunk or to indulge in things to an excess. Everything in moderation, my friends. This is what the Bible is saying. We have to remember that we are not our own anymore. We belong to the Lord. He uses that term so many times in chapter, the end of chapter 6. Look at verse 15. Know ye not that your bodies are members of Christ? And then he goes on to speak about how sinful it is to become joined to a harlot. And then he says... Look at verse 19. What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, for you were bought with a price. You are not your own, he says. You were bought with a price, and so on. And he says it in this chapter, chapter 7. 
He's reminding the Christians, look, you used to live a lawless life. You used to live according to your own rules. But now Jesus Christ has purchased you, lock, stock, and barrel, your hands, your feet, your body. Everything is the Lord's. And by the way, he says, don't you even know that the Holy Spirit lives in you? Chapter 6, verse 19, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you? Every Christian is indwelt with the Holy Spirit, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. You see, he uses it again. And so, the whole mindset of the Christian, whether he is to marry or not, he must remember, never forget this thing. He belongs to the Lord. And we stop asking, is it okay to do this or not okay to do this? The one question is, will I glorify God in this? Everything is permissible that is good. But you know, people can make a God out of their marriage and even a God out of their singleness. People can use their singleness for sin and a sinful lifestyle. Nobody sees what they do. They almost don't have any accountability. And they can go to places that Christians should never be seen in. In the same way, people can use their marriage in such a way that they are more devoted. I'm not saying it's wrong to be devoted to your spouse, but that can become a great snare, as we'll see tonight. So he's reminding us of this. The principle we must always ask is, looking back there at chapter 6, verse 12, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. He's talking here about what is expedient for the glory of God. What is man's chief end? It's to glorify God, isn't it? And to enjoy him forever. We should know the Westminster Catechism, that question, what is the chief end of man? It's to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And sometimes some things are not expedient. They won't meet that end. And they won't achieve that end. Because we can make something, uh, really, which takes over from God. So that's the first principle. And then he says, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Something can take control of your life. Again, whether it's food, meat, drink, people, even friends, sadly, can draw one away from God. Remember what Paul says, evil company corrupts good manners. And, you know, even the friends that we keep, we are told to choose wisely. We have to be very careful. Of course, we don't unfriend people, but here's the question. Who are your close companions? The Christian, he can have acquaintance with lots of people. But who really are your close companions? The ones you're close to. That makes a huge difference in the life. So these are the things that we're saying. Now what we will see this evening, if you look at verse 26 to 28, you will see first of all, and I'll show you the, the sections as I see them, what we see there is the decision whether to be single or married. That's what he deals with. And then verse 29 to verse 38, what he deals with is the life. 
and the godly disposition of the married person. To get the balance right, we have to understand marriage is good and it's right. But you have to be very careful, as I said, not only in singleness, but in marriage. That there isn't, uh, as it were, a, a taking away from the Lord and devotion from the Lord. That's the one thing we must never forget, our closeness to God. And then we'll see in verse 39 to verse 40 how he deals with death, which really terminates the marriage. It constitutes the end of marriage. And of course, in heaven, we'll be with the Lord. And it'll be even better than marriage. And we'll love our spouses uh, in a far better way there even. And we'll enjoy God's people on a far higher plane. And that's nothing to be down about. You know, people think, well, I won't have, you'll have your spouse in a far better way, my friend. And uh, you'll be perfect then, as he is perfect. And uh, this is why Paul tells us we, we can't imagine that even. We think of marriage as a wonderful thing, and it is a wonderful thing. But heaven, and to be with God's people, and above all, to be with Christ, is far better. It's going to be far better than anything. Well, let's get to the text Let's just look, first of all, I said verse 26 to 28, but let's get the context of what he's really saying in verse 26. I'll read from verse 25. He says, Now concerning virgins, I have no commandment of the Lord. Now what is he saying? Well, as I mentioned before, the liberals are very quick to jump on this, and they say, oh, you see, uh, well, Paul, he's not... Uh, He's going to teach something else other than the Lord. But what he's saying is that the Lord has not given a commandment on this, neither in the Old Testament or the New Testament. He says, there's nothing. You can search the Scriptures. I have no commandment. Now, Paul knew the Scriptures. He had nothing to draw from concerning whether it's right to marry or wrong to marry or to be a virgin or not in the Old or New Testament. But he's going to give us a principle. And we're going to work on these principles. Notice, there's nothing, really what he's saying now, concerning virgins, I have no commandment of the Lord. Speaking of the Lord Jesus, and even in the Old Testament. Now, remember what he said in verse 8. Just hearken back to what he speaks about concerning virgins. And remember, he is a male man who is a virgin, who has never married himself. He says, I say, therefore, in verse 8, to the unmarried and widows, it is good for them if they abide, even as I. If you stay as you are, it's good. He's, he's saying it's, it's not bad. It's a good thing. And what he's been saying, what he's saying in verse 25 is God hasn't given a, a, a command or a directive on this matter. But we must know this because we read, don't we, in Genesis 2. God saw that man was alone, and it was not good for him to be alone. There's Adam. And how was the Lord going to uh, cause the earth to be populated? Of course, by bringing Eve to him. But she would also be uh, a helpmeet, a suitable helper for Adam. And so the Lord took 
one of Adam's ribs and formed Eve and then brought her to him. And God said it. God joined them together. It's a wonderful thing. So marriage is a good thing. And we know we've read from Hebrews that marriage is honorable in all things, Paul says, doesn't he? And the bed undefiled. But then I want you to notice Paul adds this. Yet I give my judgment. So the Lord hasn't directly spoken, and he says later on that he believes he has the spirit in this because, of course, all scripture is given by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Yet I give my judgment as one that has obtained mercy in the Lord. Now, he's saying he's giving his judgment not only as one who's obtained mercy. What does that mean? Well, first of all, as a saved man. If you turn with me to 1 Timothy 1.12, Paul is writing to young Timothy there, and he says in 1 Timothy 1.12, he says, And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy. The Lord gave him mercy. And the Lord gave him mercy and has found him to be faithful. This man, Paul, is going to speak as a faithful, as it were, virgin. One who lived in a right manner. Of course, he wasn't perfect, but he said, follow me, for I follow Christ. And he can give us good counsel, those who would be single, virgins and who wouldn't marry listen to what paul says tonight he's saying this is his judgment not only uh, from scripture but in his experience and as a man who obtained mercy who was paul paul was once an enemy of the church he was once one who even as the lord jesus said to him on that road to damascus he said saul saul why persecutest thou me? He was persecuting Christ. Christ is the head of the church. But he found mercy. And the Spirit of God lives in Paul, or lived in Paul. Paul is now with the Lord in heaven. But he was counted faithful also in the ministry. And he is going to give us his counsel. He's going to give us, as he is led of the Spirit... He has obtained mercy. Now, what we need to see as we consider not only Paul, let us just think of this. We have all obtained mercy, haven't we? If we're saved. Think of the very prospect of hell. That's where we would have been or where we would be going right now if the Lord had not had mercy on us. That's true for all of us. We were bought with a price, weren't we? We're not our own. And he, look, he obtained mercy of the Lord. Notice the text. To be faithful. That's the same for you and for me. God has given us mercy. Paul said, I obtained it. We've all obtained it. Not by some works. It was the grace of God. But we still obtained it. Again, let's emphasize, not by works, not by any merit. But f for what reason 
Has God shown you mercy that you might be those that live differently? His name shall be called Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. And so that you be faithful. That's why the Lord has given you mercy. You are a vessel of mercy, Paul says, elsewhere. To what end? To be faithful. And so he's going to give us counsel to be faithful. And what he's saying is, look, as one that hath obtained mercy of the Lord, to what end, Paul? To be faithful. And what is he saying here? He's saying, if you're going to be single, use it, use your singleness for the service of the Lord, to be faithful to the Lord, not to serve your own lusts and to live some kind of lawless life where nobody sees what I, what I do. Remember, as Peter says, the eyes of the Lord are in all the earth, going to and fro. Everything is seen before him. You don't live singly to live this sort of indulgent life in pointless pursuits. You are the Lord's. Now, notice in verse 26, he adds something else. And for another reason, this is very vital He's speaking about singleness here now, isn't he? He's speaking here as a virgin. And then he says this, verse 26, I suppose, therefore, that this, what is the this? Being unmarried, being a virgin, is good for the present distress. Paul, what are you talking about? This present or the present distress. I say that it is good for a man so to be, so to be single, so to be a virgin. What is the distress? Well, there was an apparent distress. We don't know what it is. But that that word, see the word there, distress? In the Greek, that word, let me show you from 2 Corinthians 6, has to do with persecutions. You have to remember at this time, many, we know even Paul, put many mothers and fathers and children in prison. There was great persecution. And what he is saying is this. It's good to be single for this, because if you're married, it may well be that your wife and maybe even your children will be taken away from you at this present distress. Look, 2 Corinthians 6, verse 4. But in all things, approving ourselves as the ministers of God, in much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses. That interesting Greek word has to do with persecution from an unbelieving world, from a God-hating and a Christ-hating world. Paul says, this is how I suffer as a minister, and I'm being approved. And Notice, with the others, but in all things, approving ourselves as the ministers of God. How? In much patience. He says, I I have to be patient. Why? Look, in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses. How many times was Paul greatly persecuted? Once he was nearly stoned to death. Lystra, Derby, Antioch, these places he was terribly, even here at Corinth. We know he was so distressed in his heart, he went into that home of justice and uh, 
There the Lord met with him. Just turn to Acts 18. And the Lord said to him to, to stay here at Corinth. Do you remember when he first got to Corinth? And uh, very difficult for Paul. The Jews there, as well as the Greeks, greatly opposed him. Acts 18, verse 7, it says there, And he departed thence and entered into a man's house named Justice, one that worshipped God, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house. And many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. That's the church here at Corinth. And then you come down to verse 9. Look at verse 9 now. We read, Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by vision. He said, Be not afraid. Paul was obviously afraid because there was a great commotion in Corinth. There was great persecution against not only Paul but Christians. But speak and hold not thy peace. Carry on preaching, Paul. There was a distress there for the Apostle Paul in Corinth. And we shouldn't be surprised that if there was just a few years on now, a great distress in Corinth for other believers. Well, in just four years' time, we know what will happen. Jerusalem will fall. And there's going to be the destruction. And do you remember what the Lord Jesus said? How he said, weep not for me. And then he, he warned, didn't he, in Matthew 24, of how those who have child in the womb, how he said to them in Matthew 24, 19, and woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days, little babies. And we know what happened. Over a million Jews and many even Christians in Jerusalem were practically starved to death because the Romans had encircled the city. We know that Nero, who was a, a butcher, a tyrant, who began indeed to reign, when was it? Somewhere around 64 AD. And uh, the time now is going to be 70 AD. Well, the time here, somewhere around 55, 56 AD. It's not far away. Things are getting worse. Christians are hated, persecuted. Well, this present distress, he says, it is good not to marry. This is in his opinion. He's saying just... He's not saying it's wrong to marry. He's saying it's not. He says, I suppose, therefore, that, that this, being unmarried, is good for this present distress. Could you imagine all that would be upon a young man's mind? I'm going to bring a, my wife will bring a child in the world, maybe a few children. Can you imagine the prospects of a man seeing his wife or him being dragged away from his wife and children? He's saying at this present distress, I say that it is good for a man so to be. Perhaps just wait a little while, I don't know. Just consider this. 
He's not saying don't do it, but it, it, it tells us, doesn't it? The Lord is saying we always need to consider circumstances. And we can bring this on a more practical level. If a young man has to provide for his family, of course, you know, we don't need to be millionaires, but you do need to be able to feed your family. You do need to be able to look after them. And it's unwise, you know, to uh, just be careless in these things. We have to be wise. I have to remind young men, you have a desire to marry. You must understand that there is an increased responsibility when you marry. There's mouths to feed. There's a, a wife to look after, children to think about. But then notice he moves on, verse 27. Art thou bound? You, and that's a reminder, isn't it? Marriage means we're bound, doesn't it? It, it's, it's something not to be taken lightly. Art thou bound? You're bound as long as you live, my friend. Marriage is for life. Art thou bound unto a wife? Seek not to be loosed. He's saying, don't, even in this present distress, and there was obviously something going on right now, don't try to be unloosed. No, that's wrong. Art thou loosed from a wife? Seek not a wife. Don't think that you have to be married. It depends on the circumstance. And again, you, you apply the principles that we learned earlier on in the chapter. If a man is lusting or he's burning, then yes, he must marry. That's only right. And there's nothing, uh, to, there's nothing unclean about a marriage. It, it's, a, it's a thing that God has ordained even before the fall. It's not a sin to marry or a sin to be single. And then, it, so he moves on. But, and if thou marry, thou hast not sinned. Notice verse 28. And if a virgin marry, she has not sinned. Remember the things that we've been dealing with here. You have the Jews as well as the Greeks in this church at Corinth. The Jews, many of them, may have insisted on marriage. The Greeks, some of them, and we know what Greece was like, we know what Rome was like, rather licentious, free and easy living. You don't want that, do you? It's not a sin to marry. But it's also not a sin to be a virgin. This is perhaps why so many had rejected Paul, who were Jews, maybe, because they would have insisted on this. We know later on, Paul says, do we not also have a right to take a wife like Peter? And we've mentioned, haven't we, how... The Church of Rome have got this so wrong, forced celibacy, which has caused the Church of Rome to be such an insidious place of homosexuality and all kinds of terrible lusts. Well, Paul says here, and if a virgin marry, she hath not sinned. Nevertheless, such shall have trouble in the flesh, but I spare you. We're all going to have trouble in the flesh, whether you're single or not. And even now, perhaps, whether he's speaking in the spiritual sense or maybe even in terms of opposition from the world. Paul had it, although he was single, 
He was still persecuted, wasn't he? And we mustn't think. Christian, remember, Paul has said, all that desire to live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. We will in this world. The Christian life will mean that we will be persecuted for righteousness' sake if we are living godly. So, this whole matter here. But let me say this. Look, we notice, nevertheless, shall such have trouble in the flesh, but I spare you. Now, sometimes when people marry, and this is why it's so important, Paul says here at the close of this chapter, but marry only in the Lord. Verse uh, 39, the wife is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth, but if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will, but notice, only in the Lord. So you only marry a Christian. And we've seen recently in our morning studies, haven't we, in Second Kings, how Joram, uh, and sadly, married Ahab's daughter, Athaliah. And what a disaster that proved to be. It's so important to really know the person, to know first that they have to be a Christian. Is something you cannot, if you're a Christian, you have a responsibility to take heed to marrying, first of all, a believer, but make sure that that person is very close to the Lord. That is, that is absolutely vital. I can't stress it enough. And uh, it's important that you have somebody that thinks, may even be a Christian, but they've got to at least have the same values and views as you do. To marry somebody who is unsaved is a very terrible thing. Proverbs 21.9 It is better to dwell in the corner of a housetop than to be with a brawling woman in a wide house. It is. So we have to make the right choice. Pray that the Lord will lead. And uh, men, if you're looking, and woman, if you're looking, what a godly woman is to be like. Read Proverbs 31. And uh, men, you ought to, if you want a godly wife, you better be a godly husband. And prepare yourself for that. And lead well. And by example, choose one that you can happily dwell with. Same ambitions. Same desires. Or at least you're, you're aiming toward the same thing, the right thing. If that's not the case, and sadly we hear it, and we don't like to hear it, when you hear a spouse constantly, constantly, constantly uh, going on about the other spouse, well, you're to blame. You've made that decision. Now, of course, you can share those concerns with a friend, somebody you can confide in and maybe pray, but you don't want to be running down your spouse all the time. It's not, it's not good, is it? It's not healthy. Well, there's nothing wrong with marriage as we've been thinking. It's a good thing. But be careful how you make the choice. Don't make the choice like so many in the world do. But notice, he moves on now, the second area. He deals with the life. 
and the godly disposition that ought to be, this is a balance that ought to be in every true Christian marriage. Now, hear me, especially if you're young and you're a Christian and you're, you're thinking about marriage, or maybe you're married. Have we got the balance right? Whether there's distress or not, and there was present distress as we read, but notice what he says. But this I say, brethren, the time is short. He's here speaking, first of all, about marriage, because verse 28, But and if thou marry, thou hast not sinned. And if a virgin marry, she hath not sinned. Nevertheless, and so he goes on. So, but I spare you. And now he's saying about, he's speaking about marriage. But this I say, brethren, the time is short. Notice the text. It remaineth that both they that have wives be as though they had none. You say, well, this sounds like strange language. Well, I'll try to explain what Paul is saying. And they that weep as though they wept not, and they that rejoice as though they rejoiced not, and they that buy as though they possessed not, and they that use this world not as abusing it, for the fashion of this world passeth away. What he's really saying here is you've got wives. You've got to remember, you're going to part one day. You're married, but live. He's not saying don't give love to that spouse, to that husband and wife. But you've got to live with eternity in view. And what he's saying, and we'll look at some of the things he says here, keep a loose grip on this world, even your marriage. Be responsible in your marriage. Honor your vows. But don't go to excess. Marriage is a wonderful God-given thing. It is. But it can even be abused for lust. Listen to wise Dr. Old John Gill of many generations back. He says, his advice to them was that they should so behave as if they were not married, not that he would have them put away their wives or fancy with themselves that they had none or make no use of the marriage bed, but suggests a moderate use of it. He would not have them give up themselves to lasciviousness carnal lusts and pleasures, even with their own wives, and spend their time altogether in the company and embraces. But since the time of life is short and that it is full of trouble, they should spend their time in the service and worship of God, private and public, as much as possible, and not in the indulging and satisfying of the flesh. And I think that's right. He's saying there's a tremendous danger, isn't there, in marriage, that you are inordinately engaged in, you know, every day. That now becomes your life. But who is your life? Paul says, when he who is our life shall appear, we shall appear with him in glory. 
Now, this is why it's so important to marry in the Lord, because you're both aiming at the same target. You are giving each other due attention, but you love each other enough to say, look, we need to spend time in the Word. We need to pray. We need to do things for the Lord. Our lives are not our own. Look at what else he says. But this I say, brethren, the time is short. Do you remember that? Your marriage is a good thing. But time is short. You've got one life to live. And ultimately, it should be lived for the Lord. He has given you a wife. He's given you a husband. Not that they should take the place of the Lord. Heaven forbid. They that have wives be as though they had none. In terms of the world's way. Look how people... And I'm not saying, of course, we, we should give due affection. We should give due care. But not excess. And look, he moves on to say, and they that weep, look at the analogy as it follows on, as though they wept not. Yes, you have tears. But remember, cry, but don't cry over your, your, your tears, as it were. Don't weep over your weeping. Weep, but as if you weep not, because one day God is going to wipe your eyes. You live in a world of trouble, but live for the Lord, serve the Lord, Rejoice as though they rejoice not. You know, you can even be taken up with rejoicing. You say, what do you mean? You can go on holiday somewhere, say, wasn't that fantastic? We had a lovely time. And you, that's all you, you do is talk about that for the next month. And that's, that's not life. Remember, your life here is short, my friend. Rejoice. And even when you enjoy times again, rejoice. But remember, there's something far better. You're here serving the Lord, and they that buy as though they possess not. You see a couple, they buy a house. And that becomes for them their little Eden. And they forget about service for the Lord. So they, they spend... The first five, six years, just they put every penny into that house as if they're going to live in that house forever. <laughs> I, I'm not against having a nice house and a nice place, but my friend, that can become your little palace. And where is your service for the Lord? Buy as if you didn't possess it. My home belongs to the Lord. My wife belongs to the Lord. Everything I have belongs to the Lord. They're not really mine. And I'm just here for a little while. That's what I've got to remember. They that buy as though they possessed it not. You see, people can cling on to whether it's a spouse, a house, or a children, as if that's it. And that's their never-dying world. But the world is passing away. Our children one day are going to fly the nest. We may die before our spouse very soon. That's what he's saying. He's saying don't even weep over your weeping. 
Don't even rejoice over your rejoicing. There's better rejoicing in heaven. Isn't that? I mean, our rejoicing here is wonderful. Don't get me wrong. But my friends, we will rejoice and we will sing like we've never sung before when we reach heaven. You see, you can, you can be taken up with even legitimate things in this life too much that it, it takes you away from the Lord. It, it is good that we love our husbands and wives, but not to the point where God is relegated to the side and service to him. That's not why he's put you together. So that now you, as it were, you live in your own little paradise and this is it. We're not going to the great paradise. That's what you must have in view. This is what he's saying. Don't be indulged in extreme in this life. And even in your sorrowing, my friend, weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. There's the morning of heaven. There's that day that will know no cloud of trouble. That's what we should really be looking forward to. Yes, let us enjoy all God has given us. But friends, never let these things, never let your husband, your wife, your children, your home, your job become your God. Because if you do, it's dangerous. It is, it is terribly dangerous. Some of us often say, I thank God, my wife loves God more than she loves me. It's true, isn't it? And that's how it ought to be, men and women. Do you love the Lord above all? We'll have to part with our spouses. If they, the Lord's, we'll see them again. And what happens, we said... As I mentioned, what happens to couples, they spend their life building up their home in their little paradise. But what about the Lord? Let that never happen to us. You've got to be careful. And let, let me say this, never expect a marriage to be perfect. If you do that, you're going to be terribly disappointed. We have to work on godliness ourselves. And you know, I said this, I think, the other week. The husband must never say, well, I, I love my wife if she submits to me. That's wrong. You must always love your wife. And wives, you don't say, I'll submit to my husband if he loves me. No, God calls you to submit to him. Well, notice what he moves on to say. Verse 32, but I would have you without carefulness. What he means there, it's the word merimano, he means without worry, without care. If you turn to Philippians 4, verse 5. Philippians 4, 5. This is what he's saying. Don't be taken up with the care of this world. Husband and wife, fix your minds on heaven. Really, that's, isn't that the, where we'll spend eternity? 
Will we not see Christ? He says, Philippians 4, 5, let your moderation be known unto all men. Isn't that wonderful? What does he mean? This is what we've been talking about. Everything in moderation. Nothing in excess in this life. All things are lawful to you. But be very careful. Let your moderation be known unto all men. Why? The Lord is at hand. He's coming. And, uh, well, if he doesn't come, we go to him. And we'll see him. And then notice what he says in application to this. Be careful. Again, it's that same Greek word, merimano. Be careful. That is, don't be taken up. Don't be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. People can be taken up with, oh, should we get the latest glazed windows for our house? Should we get, should we get this? Should we get that? Should we get the latest, latest settee? Oh, if we don't have this, we won't be like the people down the road. And, and you see people, I mean, sadly, even Christians, caught up in this rut of the world. My friends, just be content with what God has given you. you. You don't need ten houses. You don't need the latest furniture. You don't need the latest car. But whatever your needs are, you can commit it to a faithful God. That's what he's saying. And be, and notice what he says, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. If you are continually hankering and hampering after the last, the next thing and the greatest thing, this is why, you see, you can make, marriage can be destroyed by a desire to overplease the husband or the wife. And that's all, you're consumed with the things of this world. And then you lose focus. You're not focusing on the Lord. You're not concentrating on the garden of your heart. That's what we read in Song of Solomon. The weeds of sin we should be plucking out. Be content with the Lord. Paul says, but godliness is great gain. Content, godliness with contentment is great gain. That's what Paul says. For we brought nothing in this world... And it's sure we can take nothing out, he says. Therefore, with food and raiment, let us be content. My friend, we ought to be just with a bit of food on the table and the good husband and the good wife together and children so long as the Lord feeds us. That's all we need. And we know where we're going. What am I saying? Now, what is Paul saying? Marriage is a blessing, but with these great blessings come great responsibility. And as husbands, we have to look out for the soul for our wives. We have to be wise and careful in everything. Look at verse 32b. He that is unmarried careth for the things that belong to the Lord. He's applying it. How he may please the Lord. But he that is married careth for the things that are of the world, 
how he may please his wife. He's just saying, beware of this. Beware of this excess. We can understand how the husband wants to please the wife and the wife the husband, but above all, we've got to please one that is greater. And that's why it's so important to aim at the right target, isn't it? Paul is saying there's a tremendous danger here in marriage that you can be inordinately given to one in a way that is not honoring to the Lord. So we move on. Think about, let me give you an example. You've got Lot in Sodom. There he is. We're told. He vexed his soul day after day in that ungodly place, the big city. He was well thought of there. And the angels came in, pulled him out. Lot, his wife, and the two daughters. Lot got out by the skin of his teeth, didn't he? And his wife was warned. You look back. There's great danger. Don't look back. But she looked back, as it were, with a twinkle in her eye. Longing for Sodom. Do you see what I'm saying? And the Lord Jesus, he, in, Matthew, sorry, in Luke 17, he said this. Remember Lot's wife. Very short verse. And then he said this, Whosoever shall seek to save his life, Luke 17, 32, shall lose it. You won't really have a life. Not here in this world. And whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. My friend, you can only preserve it in the Lord. Look at Abraham. Living outside in tents. Contented. But he was safe. We've got to keep from the love of this world, the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, the vainglory of life. Well, he moves on to say, there's a difference between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman careth for the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But she that is married careth for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And this I speak for your own profit, not that I may cast a snare upon you, but that which is comely, or beautiful, or good, that he may attend, ye may attend upon the Lord without distraction. You see, that's the sense. You may attend upon the Lord without distraction. That's what we're saying. Use everything, but use it wisely. Use your marriage for the glory of God. Tremendous benefits being married as well as being single. But use it wisely. We have to be so careful. Now, next, notice verse 36. The father, he doesn't sin if he gives his daughter to, to marriage. There were some that may have thought that way. Would I be sinning if I gave, and in these days men would give permission for their daughters to marry? Notice verse 36, but if any man think that he behaveth himself uncomely toward his virgin, that's his virgin daughter, if she pass the flower of her age, maybe she can't bear children anymore. A need so require, let him do what he will. He sinneth not, let them marry. Doesn't matter. If she wants to marry, let her marry. You're not sinning, Father. 
if you let that daughter go, even if she's past childbearing age, you're sinning. There are many men who maybe feel guilty about this. I'm dishonoring the Lord. Well, Paul says no. Verse 37, or even if she wants to stay at home, nevertheless, he that standeth steadfast in his heart, having no necessity, but hath power over his own will, hath so decreed in his heart that he will keep his virgin, that's his virgin daughter, doeth well. So then he that giveth her in marriage doeth well, but he that giveth her not in marriage doeth better. But neither are wrong. Both would be for the Lord. Then notice, lastly, verse 39 to 40, he really deals with the death of one of the spouses, which constitutes the end of marriage itself. The wife is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth. But if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will, only in the Lord. But she is happier if she so abide after my judgment. And certainly in his experience, Paul knew the Lord, didn't he? And the Lord, we're told, can be a husband to the widow. And that's a wonderful thing. It's, it's, it's a blessed thing just to be content in the Lord and to find that sweeter um, way, I suppose, we, if we could give our time more for the Lord. This was expedient for Paul. And think also that I have the Spirit of God. I think also that I have the Spirit of God. You see, when you're living your life as a single man, a single woman, for the glory of God, you're keeping your eye on eternity. And the same should be for marriage. Remember that. Remember Lot's wife. I'll give you another example, classic example, important one, Ananias and Sapphira. Sober reminder there, isn't it? Look at them. The Lord took them both. They lied about the money. What was the problem there? The love of money. didn't want to give it up and they made out as if they gave more they didn't have to lie it wasn't required of them that they they give all of that but it led to dishonesty and this pride we've got this we've got this and by the way we've we've given this but they hadn't pride fuels more pride it's like a balloon isn't it and then it can pop so easily with a pin. And we see how the Lord took them. Let us use what God has given us for his glory. Let us be content. And we can be if we have the Lord. And that's it, isn't it? That's the key to life. The Lord. What are you doing? And why are you doing it? My counsel is, be careful. Even at your happiest moments, if you're married, even that if you're not careful, that can be your greatest danger. Be careful. Never forsake the Lord.
Thank God for your husband, your spouse. But I would say this, serve the Lord and honor him and never forsake him. Never forsake the Lord. Amen.